what's about ready to happen here happens every now and then, and I, and I absolutely hate when it does. Um, so I'll, I prepare my sermon all week long. Um, Monday's kind of my big prep day. I like to tie things up Thursday because um, that's when I have to have the sermon notes in to be printed. Um, and then typically Sunday morning, that is this morning, I do like my final uh, rehearsal and kind of work through ma- the material. And every now and then, I hate when this happens, I'll work through the material and I realize, wait, no, no, oh, I, I, this does not match the sermon notes. Um, and there's sometimes where I'll even get to the point where like, like oh, I don't even know what to say, Lord. Um, we got one of those days. So, uh, so I'm praying that um, th- this, this would be from the Lord um, on, on what's about ready to be said. I'll start with this. Um, we have been going through the book of Ephesians for several weeks. and In fact, we started this um, back in October. And really, the book of Ephesians, if you read it, the book of Ephesians is all about our identity, the identity that you have in Christ, that, that if you are a Christian, um, what you have in Christ is eternal life in heaven. That, that's, that's a big part of your identity. Um, what you have in Christ is that you are forgiven of your sins. What you have in Christ is that you are loved. What you have in Christ is that you are saved by grace. What you have in Christ is that you were created for good works. And so if you read through the book of Ephesians, it will just... You'll notice this phrase, phrase, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And it's talking about all the different aspects of your identity that you have in Jesus Christ. And then what happens kind of at the end of the book of Ephesians is it, it, is it makes this shift. And the Apostle Paul starts talking about not just your identity in Christ, but how to live out that identity. And where... We were a couple of weeks ago, and I kind of want to carry on that um, this morning, is, um, is where our identity, how to live out our identity as parents, how we live out our identity as raising kids. And so Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to be there, and before I read it, I'll share just a really quick story. This happened a number of years ago, probably I think it was about five years ago. I got the honor to, to speak at something called a baccalaureate. Um, if you don't know what a baccalaureate is, I, I didn't know either. Here's what it is. It's, it's put on by a bunch of youth groups, um, and, and the goal of it is to honor all of the, the public school kids who graduated um, from high school, and, um, and, and so when they graduated from high school, it was kind of our way as, as, um, as youth group leaders to honor them. Hey, way to graduate high school as a, as a Christian. It's kind of a weird thing, I suppose. Um, and, and really, the goal of it is to, um, is to just encourage them, hey, great job on graduating as a Christian. Now we, we send you out. Um, and, and hopefully you'll follow the Lord as, as a college student. And so I got the honor of speaking at this. And, and so I spoke at it really talking about, hey, really, where's your identity as you go into college? And, and, and talked all about that. And so at the end of the sermon, I'll never forget this. Um, there was a particular student. In fact, he was a student of mine. I got to be his youth leader. And the dad came up to me after and, and we were talking, I forget how our conversation started, but we talked about, you know, 
who his kid is going to become. And I'll never forget this dad saying, you know what? You know, the only thing I want for my son, the only thing I just, I want and I desire for him, he's very emphatic, the one thing I want. And he said, I just want my kid to go to college and find a job that he loves to do. And he, does, and he just does that for the rest of his life. He just enjoys it. And forgive me if I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to come across judgmental, but I remember thinking that and listening to that and thinking to myself, that's your one desire. Like, like the one thing you want for your child, the one thing that you've raised him up to be, that he would go off to college and find just a killer job and, and do that for the rest of his life. That's your dream. That's your aspiration. That's your desired destination for your child. Like, don't get me wrong. I, I want my children to enjoy what they do, but I can't help but think of how many other things are far more significant that I'd rather have my kid aim at. And so I feel like this is an important question that we have to ask ourselves as, as parents. And, and there's some of you in here who, you know, maybe you don't even have kids yet, so you're like, I came on the wrong Sunday. Or maybe there's some of you who are, my, my kids are grown. But, but, but here's what I'd say. For those who don't have kids, there's a chance you will at some point. Or, or there's a chance that you're going to play a significant role in the life of a young person. And so hopefully you can apply this message to that. And then, and then those of you who, who have kids that are grown up, here's what I'd say. And I think you realize, it, realize this because you're much older and much wiser than at least me. But the impact you still have on your kids is immeasurable. It's weird to me to think about how much impact my dad and my mom still have on me and, and the weight that, that the words of my father and mother still have on me. And so parents, even though your kids are 25 or 35 or 45, I, I still think that we need to realize our words hold a lot of weight and a lot of significance and that unfortunately parenting apparently never ends. It just keeps going. It's got to change your styles, or at least that's what I've heard. And so I want, I want to start with this question, though. What is it, what is that one thing you desire your children to become? Like, if you could put it in a sentence, and if you could zero it in on, on one thing, don't cheat, like there's four or six things, just one thing. What is the one thing you desire most for your children when, when they turn 18 and when they leave? What, what's that one thing you desire for your children to become? I encourage you, even, even write that down. Some of you are like question marks or maybe you're looking to your wife like, hey, what, 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 are, we, what are we doing here? Um, but what is that? And here's the reason why I think it's so significant and, and so important for us parents to wrestle with that question is because of this. You parents, and, and me too as a parent, we are the determinative relationship for our children. What I mean by that is you hold more influence on, on who your children will become than anyone and anything. 
And it's not as if you hold like a 51% influence over who your children become. I, I, I would go so far to say it's got to be 90, 95%. That, that you are a major, major factor on who your children become. Now, if you look at statistics, they might argue a little bit differently. So if you look at statistics, what you're going to find is the number one influence for your kids is friends. Number two is media. Number three, that's the parents' spot. We got, we got the bronze medal. But here's the reality. Aren't we really at the top? Because isn't it the parents who determine how much influence friends ought to have or which friends ought to have? Isn't it us parents who determine how much influence the media has on our kids? We are the determinative relationship to our kids. And, and, and I think one of the things that we need to realize is that we parents we need to determine who our kids are going to be in the household rather than letting the culture decide who our kids are. What I mean by that is we need to raise our kids in a way where the decisions of peer pressure, the decisions of dating, the decisions of purity, the decisions of doing this or doing that, they are determined behind the closed doors of your home. They are not determined in them walking out into the culture. That they already know where the line of purity is because daddy and mommy had a talk with their kids rather than Jimmy, the sixth grader who watches way too much MTV, is, is, is doing the influencing. And the reality is it's not so much sixth graders, it's probably like fourth graders who, are, who, who know, frankly, way more than I know. And, and, and parents, we are the determining relationship. Parents, we, we need to create a culture in our home that has a greater pull and a greater influence than the culture outside our home. And so this is why establishing this desired destination for our children is so important because it's on us. It, it is on us parents for who our kids become. Now, we need to leave plenty of room for God to redeem and God to work. But at the end of the day, God looks to you parents and says, hey, instruct your kids, raise, raise your kids. You play a massive role. Are you, are you playing it well? And so what I want to do is I want to start looking at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. We talked about the starting of this verse a couple of weeks ago, I want to zero in on the end of it. And the Apostle Paul says this. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Now look at this last phrase, because this is what we're going to talk about. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Notice that last part. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the, what's that? Lord. Lord. So those of you who, who didn't quite know what to write on, okay, what's my desired destination for my child? Um, friends, the Bible gives you the answer. That's what's so great about this book, by the way, friends, is it typically gives you the answer pretty straightforward. Do this, don't do that. Go here, don't go there. 
And so it tells us this, hey, what's the desired destination of our parenting? Who should our kids become? Here's who they should become. They should become someone who knows who they are and whose they are. They should become someone who's been raised in the Lord to such a degree that they know that they are God's. That God loves them, that God cares for them, that God has forgiven them, that, that, that God says, you're mine. And, and the aim of our parenting should be to raise them up in the Lord. Um, by the way, not raise them up to be killer in academics, though that's, that's helpful for scholarships, but, but there is something that comes before that. Raise them up in the Lord. Not raise them up to be just this amazing athlete but to raise them up in the Lord. And, and, I, and I point those out because, parents, we have to make some hard decisions on, on what to do on Sunday mornings when game day comes around. We've got to make some hard decisions on, on what we are elevating as most important in our household. Is it, is it the report card or is it their relationship with, with, with the Lord? And so I want us to see that the Apostle Paul says, okay, you want to know the desired destination? You want to know the biblical, at least, desired destination? Is that we would raise our kids up in the Lord. I don't know about you, but there's nothing I want more than my children to turn 18 and to leave the home knowing, hey, hold on, I'm continuing. I just want them to get out. That became abundantly clear at 4.45 this morning, and two of them got in our bed. I had, I had 15 minutes before the alarm clock went off, and so I wasn't even going to argue. Fine, whatever, um, that, that's fine, and not to mention Xander kind of kept us up all night. Um, well, that's not fair. Uh, Xander kept Melissa up all night. Um, but there was a moment where he had me up too. But, but there's nothing I want more than for my kids to leave the home knowing who they are. It is staggering to realize that statistically speaking, 80% of of students who say that they are a Christian, 80% of them will leave the home at 18 and at some point walk away from the faith. And I think one of the biggest reasons why is because when they leave the home... Their identity is not in the gospel. It's just the things they've been instructed in. Just because they've been taught it doesn't mean it's who they are. And so I wonder for you, what is that desired destination? What is it that you want your children to become? The Bible says, hey, there's not going to be anything that's really going to beat this desired destination, namely that your kids would leave the home knowing who they are in Christ. But but don't miss this because this is really important. Notice what comes before this. But bring them up in the discipline, in my Bible, I have that word discipline underlined, and instruction, I also have that underlined, of the Lord. Let's zero in on this word discipline. This word discipline, in in, in the Greek, it, it literally means to train them and educate them wholly. 
The whole training and education of the child. So it's literally saying, um, okay, you can't just simply desire your kids to grow up in the Lord. you got to train them. That there is a significant amount of strategy and aim in how we parent. Just because we hope and we wish that our children will become something doesn't mean that that it's just naturally going to happen. We must train. We must discipline. We must, this is language of strategy. We must actually do something. We, We must actually be extremely strategic on how we do this. And, and so um, I know that I talked about starting with, okay, what's that desired destination that you have for your child? But, but here's the reality. Here's the reality. Your children, my children, your children will not become what you dream for them. Your children will become who you are before them. Plain and simple. That we can have these dreams, we can have these aspirations, and I think that we should. But it is not, it is not what we wish for them. It's rather who we are before them. Really, the the traits of one generation, or excuse me, the, the tendencies of one generation become the traits of the next. And, and really what we're talking about here is, is legacy. That we are leaving a legacy to our kids. Now here's the problem. We often, when we talk about legacy, it's always in positive terms, or at least I feel like it is. Well, we think that legacy is passing on the positive traits of this generation onto the next generation. And here's the reality. Legacy is passing on the traits good or bad, from one generation to the next generation. That's why when you read the statistics about people who are alcoholics, often it's in their family before. Or you read statistics about foster care, the kids who are in foster care, a lot of them are in there because mommy or daddy, usually mommy, was in there the generation before. And you can talk about this for so many different areas of life where daddy or grandfather or great-grandfather did it, and it finds its way generation after generation after generation. Please listen to me. You are leaving a legacy. You are. You are leaving a legacy. The question is, are you leaving a legacy? Are you leaving a legacy worth living? Are you leaving a legacy worth living or worth forgetting? Are you living a legacy that you want your kids and your great-grandkids to to see? I don't know about you. I get excited about the day where I'm old. And, you know, I imagine this, you know, uh, this this chair. It's usually comfortable. My wife um, next to me still looking real good. and, and, And maybe we're holding hands and watching not just our grandkids run around, watching our great kid, great grandkids run around, watching them interacting. I, I look forward to that day. Anybody? Anybody want to see not just their kids, but their grandkids, their great grandkids? And more specifically, what is it that you want to see your grandkids or great grandkids doing and, and being? 
you are leaving a legacy. And I guess what I want to zero in on, my plan was to talk about three or four different ways that we can leave a legacy worth living. And I was drawn towards just one, one specific thing. I feel like it might be the most important thing. The most important thing that we do. And, and that is this factor that, that like I said, it's not, our, it's not what we desire for our kids in which they will become. It's who we are around them. It's, it's, it's who we are. And I think one of the traps that we can fall into is instead of focusing on who we are, we instead focus on what we teach. We get so focused in on instruction and action that we forget about identity. We get so focused in on, all right, children, do this and do that, 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 that we forget to look in the mirror and ask, is that flowing out of our identity or is it flowing out of the actions I really just want them to have? And, and we need to understand that who we are is often who our children become. It's not just what we do, but it's, it's who we are that, that is what our children become. And, and I, I don't want to lessen the significance of our actions because often our actions flow out of our identity. I don't want to lessen the significance of instruction and correction. But listen, I don't think instruction or correction has any weight for your child if it's not flowing out of your identity. And so I want to zero in on what is your identity? Not just what you do, but who you are. And do your kids actually see it? Who you really are. And and the person that you really are, is, is, is that the legacy you want to leave? So let me start. I want to get into the word here. But I want to start by being a little autobiographical, and I'm going to take off this jacket. Every time I wear a nice jacket, I just get too hot, and I get distracted. Man, no idea how warm I am right now. I want to start by being a little autobiographical, because where this sermon is coming from, yes, it's coming from Scripture, because when you look at Scripture, legacy is actually a a pretty significant theme. Just read the Bible... And you'll come across these genealogies. You know when you hit a genealogy. It's the most boring part of the Bible. In fact, um, legacy is such a significant aspect in the Bible that the very first chapter in all of the New Testament is legacy. It's the legacy of of Jesus and who came before Jesus. And so um, one of the reasons why I want to focus on legacy is because we do see it in Scripture, that that the tendencies of one generation become the traits of the next. But the other reason why is because um, it's something that has flowed significantly in in my own life. So for me, um, on my mom's side, uh, I have a very uniquely close-knit family. Um, I, I don't say that, I don't, I'm not, this is not a bragging moment. Um, there might not be an extended family that, that you would ever meet that is, close, is as close to ours. And, and here's an example. 
Um, I am one of 13 cousins. If you asked all 13 cousins, who's your closest friend, both growing up and now, at least 11, maybe 12 of them would say, would name one of their cousins. There's a place in Maple Valley where, like, one square mile, like, six of the cousins all live right near each other. I had to get out. I mean, I just, I just had to get out. I used to be near there. Here, here's how close-knit my family is, um, my extended family is. Um, my cousin, Tim, is also my brother-in-law. That, that's, we, we like to keep it in the family. <laughs> Melissa's best friend married one of my cousins. Just very, very, I'm very afraid that one day we're going to wake up and realize that we're related. It's, I'm just pray, <laughs> praying that doesn't happen. But, but we have a very, very tight-knit family. And the reason why is it started with my grandfather. My grandfather was one of 16 kids. My grandfather um, married my grandmother. She was 16 at the time. They had five children, one of them being my mother, um, Kareen, Carolyn, Sherry is my mom, and then Curtis and Carrie, five of them. And then uh, amongst them, they had 13 grandkids, I being one of them. And, 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 and only one major aspect of, of our family is this close-knitness, if you will. The other major aspect of it, and it started with my grandfather, is an identity in Christ. And here's what's interesting, and and I hope that this is an encouragement for you. This is not something any of the cousins, and frankly, if you talk to, to, to my aunts and uncles, they didn't necessarily jump on board right from the beginning. I'll never forget, every Christmas Eve, we would get together and there'd be all these presents. I mean, like, it was the most glorious thing because all the aunts and uncles and grandma and grandpa would buy for every single one of the grandkids. It was, it was just spoil or, it was just, I was just so spoiled. But, um, you know, when you're five or six, all you see is these presents and you think all of them are yours, only five of them are. Um, but, but it's so excited. But my grandpa would always stop and say, okay, before we open gifts, we're going to read the word. We go through the story, and I'll be honest with you. I'm like, all right, come on. Okay, I get it. Jesus, manger, born. Okay, ooh, presents, presents. Anybody? I'll never forget going on, we'd go on family vacations at my grandfather's cabin, and, um, and, and it was in eastern Washington, and we had boats, and we'd, we'd all get ready. All the cousins would get ready, and, and we'd get sunscreened up, and, and we'd get ready to leave, and my grandfather would say, oh, stop, stop. And all... 30-some-odd of us gathered. It was like bigger than the core team of the Mission Church when we started. Um, We all gathered in this small living room, and he would open up the Word of God, and he would read, and he would pray. And all of us were going, come on, come on, come on, come on. Every vacation, every Christmas Eve, it's, it's unique. We, my grandfather's passed away a couple of years ago. My grandmother passed away about 10 years ago. Every Christmas Eve, well, it's not Christmas Eve anymore. We've, we've moved the date. But all, the whole Lang, that's my mother's maiden name, family gets together. And there's more great grandkids than we can count. There's like 20 some odd of them. We just, we just don't bother counting. We know that they're in somewhere around there. And, and, and we all get together and, and before we do the gifts thing, someone gets up and does the Christmas story. Usually one of the cousins. 
And here's what I've noticed the past few years is, yes, it's about the Christmas story, but it always starts with, you know, Grandpa used to do this, and it would drive me nuts. And now I can't wait to do it with my family. This year, my, my cousin Blake, we were so jealous. He, he got uh, one of my grandfather's old sports jackets, and he put it on. It's like the mantle had been passed and, and put it on and he got up there and, and did the Christmas story and, and all of us cousins wanted to. It was like, I don't know if the, the Joseph, the coat of many colors, if you remember that, that story in, in the book of Genesis and all the brothers are jealous. That's what was going on. And so he, he, he's leading the family devotion. He's wearing grandpa's jacket after. We're like, hey, good job, Blake. Give me that jacket. And we're all trying it on. And, 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 and I just remember that. And it was something my grandfather did year after year after year after year. And the most memorable moment with my grandparents, easy. My grandmother got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer over, a little over 10 years ago. Gave her about 12 months to live. And in the last three or four months, they had to have a, a full-time caretaker coming to the house. And I lived at my uncle's house at the time, which was literally across the street from where my grandma and grandpa lived. And by God's grace, I got the job to come and relieve um, the, the, the primary caretaker for like three hours. And I'd come over in the morning, and every morning without fail, my grandfather... <sighs> year after year after year, would start his day with, a, with his daily devotions. And I'd get there and I'd make them some toast and orange juice. And I'm, I'm like 19 at the time, 20 at the time, and my grandfather would sit in his chair. My, my grandmother, who's two or three months away from dying, the three of us would gather in the living room. And my grandfather, who did this every single day, we would do devotions together. And here's what I remember. I remember for the first time maybe in my life that it wasn't just something that grandma and grandpa did. It was who they were. And we'd do devotions and my grandfather would begin to weep. And my grandmother would begin to weep. And that was a time in my life where I started getting emotional for the first time ever. And now I'm just a wreck all the time. I think pastoring does that to you. Just too much wreckage. And we'd weep over the word of God. And we'd weep in our prayers. And I will never, ever, ever forget the moment where my grandmother was praying she said something really close along the lines of, Father God, I just want my children and I just want my grandchildren to know you and to serve you, God. And she's about ready to die. And what struck me was 
This wasn't just something my grandparents did. It was who they were. It's one thing to open up the word of God. It's another thing to to have tears streaming down your face as you engage with it. It's one thing to tell your children to to be in the word or to tell your children the importance of church or, or to tell your children about Jesus. It's another thing, parents, to feel the weight of it. Because it's who you are. It's your identity. It's not just what you do. It's who you are. And I wonder if that's you. I wonder if you're a person that, not just, that, that doesn't just say how great God is, but feels it and knows it, and it's who you are. It's who you are. And I can't be thankful to God enough that it wasn't just something grandma and grandpa taught. It was something, it was who they were. It was who they were. And I, and I would love to say that all, all of the cousins and, 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 and all of my grandparents' children just followed the Lord, reckless, abandoned all of their life. Not true. But many of them have turned back to God. And I think it, it, it has a big part to do with, with the example and in, in the enduring example of my grandfather and grandmother. Where do you find your identity in? I, I want to just close out by highlighting a couple of aspects of our identity. And I just want to ask you, is this your identity? Is this who you are? In Ephesians chapter 1, I'm just going to read this. I did not prepare at all for this. I'm just going to read and, and stop when needed. Verse 3 of chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. So, so this is part of your, your identity. You have been blessed in Christ with Every spiritual blessing. Like every spiritual blessing, God says, it's for you. Here. I wonder if you believe that. I wonder if you have that. It says in verse 7, In Him, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Here's another aspect of your identity. Your sins have been forgiven. Not by anything that you've done, but because of what Christ has done for you. You have been forgiven. Every sin you've committed, God says, I forgive you. And Christ paid the debt that you owe. You are forgiven. Is that an identity that you live is that, is that an identity you pass down to your kids? Do you, do you remind them, you're forgiven, you're forgiven, you're forgiven. You just disobeyed me, but you need to know you're forgiven. In chapter 2, very famous passage, verse 7, excuse me, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is 
not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. How are you saved? By grace alone. I hope that hits you. I think for some of us, at least for me, that's been a verse I had to commit to memory since I went to Christian school, since I was a, like a little kid. And so it's like, okay, for by grace I've been saved by faith, and this is not of yourself. It's, it's not in your own doing. It's a gift of God. It's just like, oh yeah, I've been, I've been forgiven by grace. Do you realize how rebellious you and I are and God says, I forgive you. I'm just going to give you grace. You deserve eternity in a place that starts with H that we don't like to talk about but ends in E-L-L. I say, you deserve. I know we don't like to talk about that. that that's what you and I deserve. And God says, but I'm going to give you grace. Is that your identity? Is that, is that who you are? Do you wake up in the morning and go, I have been saved by grace. This is who I am. Do we look into our kids' eyes and say, you, you have been given grace. And then look at this last part. Verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you know that God has called you to good works? He's prepared them. That, that you don't just have an identity with Christ, you have a, an impact that you can make with Christ. That you've been called to good works. Do, do, you, do you raise your kids and do you remind them you have a calling upon your life? God's called you to make an impact. God wants to use you. God wants to use you. Is, is that our identity? Do we live an identity of being called by God to make an impact? So guys, who we are is often who our children become. And, and I just want to ask you, who are you? Do you see yourself as forgiven? Do you see yourself as loved? Do you see yourself as saved by grace? Do you see yourself as called by God for good works? What, what's your identity in? Because our kids are watching and, and they're, they're going to walk in it. And we can give all the instruction in the world, but if it doesn't come from who we are, it loses its weight. So maybe the question, maybe the starting question is not simply what do we desire for our children to become? Maybe we need to take a step back and ask the question, who am I? What do I find my identity in? What do my wife and I, what, what do my husband and I, what, what do we find our identity in? And is it something that we want to pass on from one generation to the next? What do I find my identity in? Let's, let's, let's close in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, I pray that, that you would remind us of this tremendous identity that we have in you. God, help us to not just simply believe 
the things about you, Jesus, but that that would be who we are. And Father, we pray for our kids. We want them to see who we are in you, Christ. God, I pray that you just speak to our hearts today and maybe just wrestle with that question, who am I? What's my identity found in? Truly, what, what is my value and worth? What am I finding my value and worth in? What am I finding my identity in? And Father, for some of us, the answer, it's not you, Jesus. For some of us, the answer is in work. Some of us, the, the answer is money. For some of us, the answer is our identity is in our family. Father, draw us to finding our identity in you and only you. Just pray these things in your name.